Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Glad you're here. We got a special guest today all the way right now from Thailand, I believe. And uh, we're going to be talking to him about the deals that he's doing. But first, let me remind you guys, if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, you get all the show notes. We're going to be giving you a lot of cool resources on this podcast. You can also get the transcriptions of the podcast there. And um, I give away some a lot of cool things for free on the website as well. I give away my Wholesaling 101 mind map. And I think I even give away a free lease option contract or something like that. But if you go to realestateinvestingmastery.com, you'll see all of that there. And also, don't forget, I want to ask you to please leave a review in iTunes. If you like this show, let us know. We have over 400 and something, I think 500 podcast reviews. And I'm trying to pull it up now as I talk, which never works. (laughs) But uh, anyway... Check out the Real Estate Investing Mastery show on iTunes. And if you haven't, please leave us a review. Here it is. I'm pulling it up right now. We've got 455 reviews. That is awesome. I love it. And I'm pulling up the most recents. Here's a review from uh, Chasing Riley Day, one of the best and active podcasts out there. Five stars. I've been listening to Joe for several years and is a staple to knowledge in my real estate investing career. So much content and knowledge. Everyone will learn a wealth of information just by plugging into it. That's awesome. Thank you, Chasing Riley Day. We got another review here from DJO, DJ Zero. He or she says, one of the best five stars. This podcast is one of the best real estate podcasts out there. Joe strikes just the right balance of tough love by telling you to stop making excuses and get off your butt, <laughs> mixed with positive encouragement and constantly reminding you that you can be successful as a real estate investor if you're willing to do it. Thank you, DJ Zero. I got one more from Abel Abel 31. (laughs) Abel. Abel 31, the best info, five stars. Joe does the absolute best job in cutting to issues that investors gave and providing solutions. Absolutely my favorite podcast and has been for a few years. Thanks, guys. I could go on and on. I appreciate the reviews. But please, go to iTunes or even go to Stitcher if you want. You can leave a review in Stitcher. Uh, I got like... 50 or 60 there too. And uh, it just lets me know that people are listening, that they like the show, and it also helps with the ratings so other people can find it as well. Okay, cool. We got a special guest on today's podcast. His name is Tracy Leon Ellison Bay, and he's a cool guy who lives in Thailand right now. And the other day, uh, a few weeks ago, I posted something on Facebook, said, hey, I'm looking for some cool people to interview. Who would you all recommend? And uh, several people mentioned Trey. Trey, he goes by Trey. And uh, so I reached out to him and he's doing some really cool things, doing deals virtually while he's traveling around the world with his wife. And uh, right now they live in Thailand and we're going to be talking about that. And um, I think I got that right. Am I right, Trey? Yes, you are correct. Okay, (laughs) good, good. Uh, So how are you doing, Trey? I'm doing pretty good. I'm super excited to be here and to be talking with you today. I'm an open book. I'm hoping to be of service to everyone else that's out there. And you, know, you can ask me any questions that you like. I won't be holding anything back. Now, Trey, you're in Thailand. How far away is Bali? 
Bali is, uh, I think it took us two hours to fly to Bali, I believe. It was a okay. pretty quick flight. So is we that, have. Um, is that Indonesia? We, yeah, Bali is Indonesia. I know they had just recently had a very, very terrible uh, yeah. earthquake there. Did you feel that or was it too far away? No, it was, it was way too far away for us over here in Thailand as far as um, us feeling that. And it was on a, it was, I think it was on a specific island in Bali. So it wasn't the full, you know, Bali has several islands. It was just in Lombok, if I can recall that correctly. Do you know what the latest is? Were people able to get help or get off the island or? Yeah, I was reading up on it. I know that um, they actually had two earthquakes back to back in that same week. And I know the first earthquake only killed about 50, not only, but yeah, it yeah, killed yeah. about 15 people. And then the second earthquake killed 91 people. So Ooh. it's really terrible. I know they added on a few flights, but still a lot of people are still trying to make it out of there. Because I know a lot of uh, digital entrepreneurs live in, right in and around the areas where you've been traveling. So yeah. uh, we're thinking about you guys and hoping everything's <laughs> all right. Yeah, everything's good in Thailand. Try, tr- try, Trey. I'm sorry. Jeez. I, mess, <laughs> I keep on messing up your name. Trey. T-R-A-E. Tell us a little bit about your history. What did you do before you got into real estate? Well, I was actually a union organizer with a labor union, and I was cool. doing that for about five years. Uh, it was a really good paying job for me just getting out of college. And then I just wanted to, I knew that I, I could do more. I knew I, I had an entrepreneurial spirit. And so I actually just ended up leaving that job and moving to Atlanta, Georgia, and basically just starting over from scratch after being a union organizer for five years. I had a really good salary, but I knew I just had to do something else. So I moved to Atlanta, kind of ran into the real estate industry by, uh, actually, I, I found the ad on Craigslist and it said it, did, it was just looking for someone with marketing and leadership capabilities. Yeah. So that sounded like me. I applied for the ad. When I showed up, it actually was more of an orientation. They didn't really tell us what we were going to do. They just handed us a list of homes and they told us to go out there and lease them. And, you know, come to find out it was really a real estate gig. They said I didn't need a license. But then three months into the job, they told everyone that was working with them that you had to go out there and go get a license within two months. So everybody scrambled together to get a license. And um, I was almost pretty much forced into getting a real estate license at that time. And so um, come to find out, I was working for a, a pretty large hedge fund. I don't know if you've heard of uh, Colony American Homes. They're, I think they're the second largest landlord in the United States, or they were at that time. But I just wish I would have known a lot of real estate investing knowledge that I know now. But working for them, basically, they were buying about 300 homes a month from the foreclosure auction in Georgia. And so it was about a team of 100 of us. We would go and split up into different counties and go to the courthouse steps and just they would hand us these large checks. And we would just buy up everything that they had their eyes on. Like nobody was outbidding them in about 2012, 2013. And so we were just buying up everything on the market. And I was trying to figure out what these guys were doing because they literally had so many homes. They literally couldn't turn them around fast enough to get them to be leased out. And so, you know, come to find out 2016, 17, 18, they were just holding on to them to wait for the market to turn back around. And then they were just selling off all of the homes. And so it was a, it was a great thing for me to witness as me yeah. wanting to be a real estate investor. And so I kind of learned the game from um, some of those big guys. And you know, I'm happy to have witnessed that. Which, by the way, you, you're a union or used to be a union organizer. Did you see what happened in Missouri the other day? No, I did. <laughs> I haven't been following ever since I moved to Georgia down yeah. south. Doesn't like unions at all, <laughs> so oh, okay, I haven't okay. been keeping up. I'm pretty much in the middle of the road, 
not either side of the issue. Mm. But they there was the unions won a big victory in Missouri with a uh, with there's this thing called right to work anyway. It was defeated in Missouri, and a lot of union members are very happy right now. <laughs> I don't know well, if you still follow yeah. those issues or not. Okay, anyway, <laughs> so what you started doing deals in Atlanta? You left the company, started doing this on your own. Were you doing deals in Atlanta? Yeah, so I started off in Atlanta when they forced us over to get a license. Actually, when it came down to them selling off the homes, we didn't have a lot of inventory at that time working with the hedge fund. And so the money started to slow down a lot when I was working with them. And so I decided to try to be a traditional real estate agent and see if I can do something with the license that I was forced to have. Yeah. And I pretty much failed miserably at that. I found out that I wasn't a really good person to get dressed up in a suit and drive people around in the car and you know, kind of pat buyers on their butt. And, you know, those, those type of things wasn't really good for me. And I knew I just wanted to be a real estate investor. I just didn't know what, you know, what would be the steps to kind of get there because I was in a position at that time where we didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have any credit. And then uh, wholesaling and lease options just happened to cross my desk. And it was just I pushed the real estate license to the side and, and just went all in on wholesaling and lease options. And so Georgia was where we got started at doing investing. OK. And how long and well, what year did you start doing that? And how long did you do that? Uh, it's been three years now. Three years that we've been doing the wholesaling and lease options. So altogether, we've controlled over $2.3 million worth of real estate assets just doing those two strategies. And I want to say I've, I've done more lease options than wholesaling, even though I get a little bigger spreads with wholesaling as far as upfront cost is concerned. But I really like the cash flow from lease options, and that's allowed us to be able to travel and still have income coming in in addition to doing real estate deals still in the state still. Okay, cool. Talk about lease options. What what got you interested in doing some of those deals? Well, I think it's really just taking a lot of my experience that I was learning from working with the hedge fund and turning around those properties and putting tenants inside of them. I think lease options really stood out to me when it came down to just already knowing the process of dealing with tenants and how to find the right tenants and qualify them and market the properties. And so when lease options kind of actually, I got into wholesaling first, then found out about lease options later. And I, I really felt like, okay, if I, if I had to make a choice, what would my skills fit with the best? And so I decided to just learn everything I could about lease options. I followed you for a long time. I, I followed a couple other guys. It's not too many people who's really teaching lease options good. But um, after learning a lot of it, I just really just start offering sellers multiple options. And at the time, it was a hot market. So, you know, a lot of people were giving lowball offers and sellers didn't want to go for that. And so when I started offering the lease options as well as seller financing, I was finding a lot more yeses. And so, of course, the cash flow works well with me and I get paid in three different ways. And so we really started to master um, master that part of our business. Okay. Wow. Nice. What was a typical lease option deal that you were doing at the time? A typical lease option deal would be, uh, I think... Uh, tired landlords stood out a lot. Um, I didn't really target them as leads, but when I started to hear stories over and over with specific people who who didn't mind really holding on to the house and they liked the cash flow aspect, they just didn't like the headaches of being a landlord. Yeah. And so me solving those problems for people um, has been allowed. And a lot of them actually owned the home free and clear. And so they they weren't the type of seller that was really stressed for time and stressed for cash and had a mortgage. And and so those it seems like when I looked at those type of sellers, it really fit them well as far as the option we were given with lease options. So 
Um, we still have a few lease options right now while we're in Thailand that we still manage and we still kind of take care of. But the type of tenants that we find the tenant buyers, we really target the right quality tenant buyers. And we're, we turn a lot of people away if we feel with our gut that they're going to be a headache or they really won't purchase the property. And so we make sure that we choose the right sellers to get in business with and also the right tenant buyers to be able to get in business with to make it work. So, Trey, were you doing sandwich lease options? Yes, yeah, sandwich lease options. Yes. Okay. So you were doing, what kind of marketing were you doing to find these deals? Oh man, we, we tried a lot of different options. Uh, we sent out some mail. Um, also, I ended up getting um, a really good outside contract with a property management company. And I worked with him for a long time and educated him on the benefits of lease options. And he ended up uh, sending me over a lot of his clients in order to turn their portfolio over to lease options. So we did a lot of that. And then um, also working with probate attorneys, uh, them sending over deals. So a lot of times we were just trying to find ways that we can make networking work with people who already had deals on their plate. And they were just willing to hand it over if I can just educate them on on the benefit of, of it. So that nice. worked really well for us. Networking is not very sexy, is it? You know what I no. mean? No. <laughs> no, it's not. It takes a lot. I mean, well, anything, I think leads, you know, you need to follow up with leads, of course. But when you just follow up with one big networking connection, then it, it can prove to be very, very well off for you. One of my friends in Atlanta, his name is Peter Vexelman. He yeah, does a lot of Peter. deals. Do you know Peter? Yeah, yeah. I follow Peter too, yeah. I actually he, did a couple of deals with him. Yeah, one of the biggest ways he used to do deals, I'm not sure if he does them anymore, was networking. He would build a huge list of emails of people all over Atlanta that were in the real estate business, realtors, investors, property managers, wholesalers, investors, everybody, right? Mm -hmm. And once a week, he would email them every single week, a personalized email, basically saying, hey, do you have any deals? I'm looking for things. I'm looking for deals. And sometimes he would teach things like, you know, hey, this is how you find private money for your deals. And uh, just for the purpose of networking, building a relationship, being at the fr in the front of their mind, because they're going to forget who you are a week or yeah. two weeks, a month later, but they would constantly, regularly get his emails every week. And for the longest time, he didn't do any direct mail until just a couple years ago. And he's been doing deals for a long, long, long time. But that is fantastic. I mean, that's really, really good advice. Just start anybody listening to this, start collecting business cards, start collecting emails and phone numbers and just start emailing everybody. I know one guy who takes this networking idea really, really seriously. He's kind of famous here in in this part of Missouri. And he um, he's one of those guys who only works when he needs the money, right? And every now and then when he needs the money, he uh, he's broke again. He'll go through his Rolodex and just start calling everybody. And he asks them two questions. Do you have any deals you're looking to buy? Or do you have any deals you're looking to sell? And by the time he gets to the end of his list, he's always got one person who's got a house he wants to sell, another guy who wants has a house he wants to buy, and he puts them together. He's in the middle, and he makes five, six grand or something like that. But yeah, that's um, pretty interesting. Actually, that's key, how I got. My, yeah, that's how I got my very first deal. Is doing exactly what he did. I, I actually used bigger pockets, and uh, I was just using it as a networking tool. And I really just sent everyone the same message that he sent. Like, is, do you have any houses? that you're looking to, to sell or any ones that you're looking to buy or any deals you have going on right now, just starting up that conversation. And that's actually how I got my very first uh, wholesale deal. That's great. You know, I, I imagine somebody listening to this doesn't have any money for marketing and they're really struggling. This could be something that they could really start implementing and using, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. 
All right. So you're in Atlanta doing lease option deals. You're doing some wholesaling as well at the same time, right? Yes. Doing both. Offering just basically, I called it a triple threat offer. <laughs> oh, talk offering, about that just, some more. Uh, just really just going in there with a, a solution mindset. So I, I, I usually tell the people that I work with, coaching students, that you know it, it seems like a lot of competition is out there in the market. But what's really happening is you have wholesalers that are going in there, just you know, giving lowball offers as fast as possible. You have agents that are going, talking to the sellers, just basically saying whatever they can in order to get the seller to sign a listing agreement and promise in the world. And nobody's really going in there, just you know, trying to fit their house and their situation with the correct solution. And so what I found out if I if I go in there and I'm just really listening to what the seller situation is, also what's the the current condition of the property. And also what their goals are, I usually can fit their house and their situation into a certain category that would be best for them. And so I like to tell, you know, sellers whenever they have some type of, you know, either objection or something like that, there's usually only three buyers that can buy your house, either a tenant buyer, a cash buyer or a retail buyer. You know, if your house isn't in perfect condition, then, you know, a retail buyer is going to have these things to say about it. Are you willing to do that type of work to this house? Most of the time it's no. You know, if the house is in moving, ready condition, but it's not perfect, it might be perfect for a tenant buyer if they're willing to hold on to it. And if the house is really just in distress situations and, and no one can move into it, then I, you know, put it right to them. Like it needs this amount of work. It needs to be done in this type of way. Are you ready to do that right now? And if it's no, then, you know, you have a, a few different options you can do. And, and I let them choose depending on what they're willing to do and move forward on. That's excellent. That's really good. Anybody listening to this, you need to rewind about a minute and listen to what they <laughs> just said. I like that a lot. Listening to their situations, offering solutions, helpful solutions, basically not, not just coming in with one offer that you can make, right? But listening to them, finding out what they really need and giving mm -hmm. them options. I love that. That's really, really good. Yeah, it's so totally working. When you, you talk about your triple threat offer, are you... So you're listening to their situation, then do you, when you find out where, what they want or what you think might be good for them, are you making them three offers at one time or are you just making them one offer, one of those three offers? Does that make sense? Yeah. So it really depends. Like I said, sometimes the seller just doesn't have all three options. Like if your house is totally distressed, I can't put a tenant buyer inside of it. So I'm not, you know, I can say I would love to put a tenant buyer inside of your house. But unfortunately, your house doesn't fit that criteria and we're not able to move forward on that option. So I still will present them. I have a, a presentation that's already set to go actually print out a presentation that has all of the options on there. And I'll explain each of the options to them, but I will let them know if their house doesn't fit that situation. So they will know all three, but I, I may not offer for them that that's a choice that they can make. Now, it sounds like this is something that you it works better in person. But is this something you also can close them? Can you talk to them and close them on the phone with these kinds of three offers? Yeah, now I'm pretty good in doing that over the phone now, now that I've done it so many times. I mean, I always recommend for people, if you want to do virtual wholesaling or virtual lease options, then you better have did a whole bunch of phone calls, a whole bunch of in-person meetings first. And then now, you know, I can see now with different eyes when I'm talking to them on the phone, but I still feel like it's best to have somebody on the ground that can actually go and see the seller. You won't miss out on as many deals. And that's in my opinion. Um, you can definitely do it virtually, but you know, I want to make it so that sellers can actually see someone. They have you know less stress when it comes down to figuring out whether or not you're real, whether or not you actually follow through and 
believe in who you are and that you're professional. And so I do like to actually have somebody on the ground if possible. But, you know, I've done deals without that as well. So when you're doing deals from out of the country, do you try to get an acquisitions manager then in whatever city you're in to do this for you? Is that what you're trying to do? No, actually, what I've been doing lately is I've just been going on um, just bigger pockets, Facebook, and just answering questions to new people that are out there. And what I'll do is I'll try to find somebody that's super hungry and has really good work ethic, but that's still willing to be coached. And I'll end up just taking them on as a coaching student and then partnering with them. And so recently, I've actually just slowed down on it. Now that I have a handful of people that I'm working with, I don't want to tie down my time since I have other businesses as well. And so I have found you know, pretty, a pretty good core of people that are in different states that I now coach and partner with on deals as well. Nice. So they're out there doing the marketing and you're coaching them through the deals, doing some deals. Well, I, actually do, I actually do the marketing for them. I have access to a, a couple different databases that I really like working with. And I use vacant leads because I feel like with vacant leads, I know that they have a pain point. You know, usually that a house is a liability and not an asset at that point. It's either, you know, they still have a mortgage or they still have to pay taxes or utilities or or the house is in some type of, you know, basically vulnerable state because no one's in there. And so with using vacant leads, I know I can hit, you know, I get the probate stories, I get the divorce stories, I get the tired landlords, all with that vacant leads. And so I just use my system and I um, skip trace or have phone numbers and I have the people that I'm working with just go out and just blast them with phone calls and just follow up, follow up, follow up until we get a deal. Nice. So. I want to talk to you more about marketing here in a minute. Uh, let me ask you back again on these three offers. For the retail sure. buyers, if that's their option where, you, you know, the um, uh, you know cash offer won't work, a lease option probably won't work, this house is in pretty decent shape. Do you offer then to, since you're licensed, do you offer to list the house or do, yeah, what do you so do then? So I don't I don't like being an agent myself. So I do have a network of other real estate agents that I'll end up just you know, offering for them to take the listing deal. And so I do offer the real estate listing if it does truly fit them. But what I do to try to you know deter them as that being an option, one I'll offer seller financing, of course, and then also I'll be I'll list out all of the fees that they'll have to pay if they were to list their house. So I kind of use the the listing option as almost like a a deterrent from, you know, do you really want to go through this as far as paying a closing costs and being ready to repair certain things if the buyer asks for the the fees that you have to pay to the agents, the 6%. I'll add all of those percentages up. Yeah. And, you know, I'll tell them that at the end of the day, it's really close to my cash offer or it's really close to this other offer. Are you willing to go forward with that? And if it really does fit them, like if, it's, if that's the best option for them, I'm someone who's totally transparent. And sellers usually, you know, they recognize that right away. And it's like, look, if that's the best option for you, I just want to make sure that you have it very clear that everything's up front so you know what you're getting into. And then we can make sure that we can get somebody that can execute it the best way. Makes sense. Okay, good. Now, let's talk about the marketing. What are you doing in marketing that's working today? Uh, right now, just I, I feel like there's so many systems that's available. Like, you know, back in the day when people were doing door knocking and, you know, those type of things, I feel like now there are so many data aggravated systems that's available that are doing the work for us that there's not too much that I'll have to do as far as like putting out direct mail anymore. And so literally I'd rather pay a system every single month that's going to just give me all of the vacant leads that are available. And then, like I said, we're just hitting them first. What, what I'm finding with my coaching students is that they'll talk to sellers and sellers to say, hey, I got you know 50 letters or 50 postcards that I was just ready to call 
but you hit me first. And so we're able to get in front of those sellers quickly, give them the options that we have. And, you know, we're, we're able to get the deal a little faster than them waiting to call someone from okay. the postcards. Nice. Are they just, what kind of dialer? Are they using a dialer or just one at a time? One of my students actually, are, they are, they're using Mojo and they said they really like that program. But most of my students, we're just, we're just hitting the calls. I'm telling them, you know, you have a certain goal to set. If you can just at least talk to five new leads per day. Also follow up with everybody who's on your follow up schedule, and then if we can send one or two offers a day, then we're you know we just have to do that consistently. Okay, awesome. Now you're in Thailand. What on earth are you doing there? Oh, well, first of all, go back a little bit. Like, <laughs> how did you start traveling, or why did you start traveling? Well, that's a that's a funny story that uh, I know my wife probably would have been uh, perfect to tell that story. But basically, when we were in Atlanta, we were um, in downtown Atlanta. In the condo in downtown Atlanta, we were already paying. Uh, it was thirteen fifteen a month, and then they had these fees on top of that. So it was at the end of the day, we were paying about fifteen something, almost sixteen hundred dollars. And then when it came down to renewing our lease, because it was being built uh, built around the Beltline, and the Beltline was just really up and coming, they were doing they're doing a lot of building around that area. They decided to jump up an extra two hundred dollars on our lease just by us doing a renewal. So that was going to take us to about you know $1,800 that we're paying for this condo in downtown Atlanta. And so we started thinking after watching a lot of shows and we love, we love beaches. We love the water. Yeah. And so we were watching a lot of shows on HGTV and we were like, there's so many places around the country that we feel like we can live like royalty for this price. You know, why don't we just, you know, decide to just go and find another place around the world that we can take the same amount that we were going to pay them. And so we decided just to not to renew our lease and we sold everything we had. We sold the car that I just got finished paying off the entire note for. <laughs> we sold everything that we had. We went down to two suitcases each and we literally chose Thailand as our first stop. And wow. we went to Bangkok. Bangkok was super crowded. It kind of took uh, me and my wife a little while to get adjusted in Bangkok. I don't know if that would be the first place I would recommend for people to go if you haven't been out of the country. But two hours from Bangkok is a city called Pattaya, Thailand, uh-huh. and we just we fell in love with Pattaya, Thailand. It has a beach. It's a, like a kind of like a, a resort style area, as well as like a lot of retirees are here, and so it has a really great feel. It's not as crowded as Bangkok, but it's still really close to there, where you don't have to take a plane or a boat to get to an island. You can actually take a few boats here to get to an island, but you know you don't have to travel outside of there to really enjoy the beach and the water. And so we lived in Pattaya, Thailand for about six months. And it was hard to leave because we loved it so much, but we wanted to experience, you know, a lot of other places around the world. So we ended up traveling to Bali, uh, Malaysia, Philippines, um, just to get a feel for other places. And we just, we just missed Thailand. Like every place that we went, we compared it to Pattaya. We, we loved it so much. We was like, we got we just, we just got to go back. And so we ended up coming back here. We've only been back in Thailand for the last um, two weeks now. So we lived here for six months. We've been back for two weeks, and now we're now we're going to be here for a few years. We've already got a, a lot of things established as far as getting into the short-term rentals market that we've just been loving so far. So, well, well, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Talk about what life is is like living in Thailand in the in Asia. I know every country is so different that you can't all put them together in the same category. But like, what's it like living there? Wow. I would say um, we, we really like the energies here. And so they're really into meditation and um, celebration and festivals. And so we, we like the energy of the people. I know when it came down to uh, us first visiting here, 
when we were in Bangkok, it was kind of like a culture culture shock because there was basically almost nobody that knew English. And there's definitely no one that, that's of color that looked like us at all. Yeah. And so it was, wow. a, it was a real culture shock. I kind of found myself even trying to even trying to use Uber to deliver some food. The addresses here is basically nothing. You have to just know the name of the building or know the area. It's, hardly, it's really hard to have addresses or direct someone to where you're going. And so I remember just standing in the middle of the street one day and just, you know, trying to think of how in the heck I was going to direct this person to deliver our food. We were so hungry. And so I was trying to actually find someone that knew English or ask someone if they can translate to the guy who was delivering the food to tell him where we were at. And everybody was just looking at me crazy and like, no, no, you know, and I couldn't figure out how to get the food to us. And so I think after that point, everything was good. I figured out how I can communicate with people as far as like pointing or just learning some of their basic um, language that I can communicate now, pulling up translator on my phone, pulling up a picture on my phone. It's just been hmm. helping me to be a, a better communicator after that day of just, you know, really just standing in the middle of the street trying to figure out what the heck I was going to do. After that, it's, it's been really cool. And we just we just love Thailand for the energy and also the beauty and the, the luxury for the price that you get. And so, for example, in Atlanta, we were you know going to be we were paying sixteen hundred a month. And, you know, in, in, the, in downtown, downtown Atlanta is really beautiful. It has a lot of parks and, and uh, grass and things like that. But that right now I'm, I'm literally standing almost on the beach in a high rise condo for three hundred dollars a month. Holy smokes. <laughs> Three hundred a month. So, so yeah, so now we have now we have four condos for around that. So one of our two of our condos is two hundred and twelve dollars a month, and it's actually right next door that I'm looking at right now on the beach as well for two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> so you have <laughs> is it like well you know for sixteen hundred a month couldn't you get a, a a nicer bigger house just by itself on the beach? Well, you could. Now, they don't have a lot of houses available on the beach. They have, a, they call them villas. And basically, the villas are basically houses, but they're in more of a, like, a, if you're from Atlanta, you know, subdivisions. Okay. And so they have subdivisions with pools and a lot of houses around each other. But the thing in Thailand is right now, foreigners aren't allowed to own land. Yeah. And they do, they do plan on changing that. But in order for you now, and there's ways to get around it. But in order to get around owning land in Thailand, you actually have to have a Thai corporation, and then in that Thai corporation, you can't own more than forty nine percent of that Thai corporation. And so you have to find another Thai person that's willing to get in the business with you. You can form a Thai company, and then you can actually own the home. But you know, technically, you won't be owning a home outright because you have the Thai partner. But that's the only way to kind of get around owning land. But when it comes down to owning a condo. You can own the rights to the condo. You just can't own the rights to the building and the land. You can't own a full building either. You can only own up to 49% of the building. Okay. So we do have some restrictions when it comes down to that. So that's why we've been choosing to do um, type, uh, condos. What I'm going to look on Google right now. What would be a um, the city that you're in? What's it called? Oh, it's called Pattaya. So P-A-T-T-A-Y-A. Thailand. All right. I'm Googling that. Wow. I'm going to images. <laughs> and uh, that's gorgeous. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> We've, I'm telling you, we fell in love as soon as we touched... As soon as we touched down here, it was like we didn't want to leave. We actually almost cried when we had to leave to go to Bali because the visas here, you, you really have to leave out of Thailand every two months and then come back. 
unless you have a work visa or a marriage visa or an investing visa. We have to invest a pretty good amount before we're able to get an investing visa. So we're working on that. All right. So there are a lot of um, expats there, uh, tourists and things like that? Uh, not as many. What we find is a lot of retirees come here and they'll end up just wanting to spend their life here. Or we get a lot of people that are uh, coming here and they're marrying Thai women. Uh, you can, I don't want to talk too much about <laughs> the things that they Yikes. actually do here, but a lot of Thai women are looking to marry foreigners they, and they like basically for a better quality of life. Okay. And so sometimes you'll find people that are actually buying women here and, you know, it gets a little crazy, but and it's a lot of actually in Pattaya specifically, it's a lot of Russians that are here in huh. uh, Pattaya and then also a lot of Chinese that uh, find, find that we're here. Interesting. Okay. And uh, the beaches look beautiful. Yeah, that's the best thing. There's not too many other places in Thailand that has beaches besides, you know, the, the separate islands. So we, we like being on the mainland that we can access the islands, but we don't have to be we don't have to live on the island specifically. OK. Is it pretty safe there? Yeah, yeah, it's safe. Now, we've we didn't feel as safe in Philippines and Manila. And we did. Uh, Bali was nice. I like the culture there. Um, but as far as the accessibility with the streets and the roadways, we had to rent a motorbike in order to get around and they didn't have a lot of sidewalks versus here in Thailand, you have bot buses as public transportation. You have taxis that are just one step away. So it's easy to get around and it's really, really safe here. We haven't felt any type of um, threat at all. Okay. All right. Well, how about the internet? What's it like with the high speed internet? Yeah, the internet has been great here. Been better than the other places that we visited. Malaysia was really, really slow. They didn't offer a lot of high packages. The place we ran in Bali was really slow unless you go into a business, basically workspace that you have in order for them to offer high-speed internet. Here, everywhere we go, we're really good with the condos that we decided to book with um, high-speed. And I'm talking on it right now. I'm calling on Skype. Yeah, the internet is, is pretty yeah, it's pretty it's pretty good and fast here. All of the condos that we have for short term rentals, we set up the fastest package at fifty megabytes per second. So it's, it's really good here. Okay, now talk about the Airbnb stuff. You're doing some pretty cool things where you're getting condos and you're either buying them or you're renting them. So we're starting off as, as renting right now, just okay. to make sure we have everything set as far as our process is concerned. And then the long-term goal is to really quickly start buying them up. But we really want to just get into buying the villas. The villas have way more cash flow when it comes down to actually renting them out for short-term rentals. And so we're going to be renting a lot of the condos, and then we're going to be starting to buy villas soon. Well, give, give us an example of a deal that you're working on right now. Okay, yeah. So um, just recently, we just wrapped up two condos that are on the same floor in the same building. They were literally three doors down from each other. And like I was saying, those condos are $212 a month. The internet and cable was $25 a month. And so we're in it all in for expenses at $3240 when it comes down to expenses for the condo. And then we're able to rent it out at anywhere from, uh, what would we have, $20 a night on up to you know $50 a night per night that we're able to rent wow. it out for. So the cash flow is, is really amazing wow. and the expenses is really cheap. They don't ask for 
any proof of income. <laughs> they don't ask for, uh, you know, any type of criteria running your credit. They don't, they don't care about any of that. They just want to know if you have the cash, do you want to put it down today, sign a lease, you know, hand them your passport, they'll make a copy of it. You move right in the same day. All right. All right. And what are some of your long-term goals with Airbnb? Do you plan on doing as many as you can, getting a lot more of them or what? Yeah, yeah. So we definitely have been getting a lot more. So we started off just getting them ourselves. And now we've actually included our family and our close friends into an opportunity to be able to invest with us as well. And so with the cheaper condos, we, you know, it's a little bit less on cash flow because, of course, they're a little cheaper. But the best part is that they're already furnished. So we don't have to put any expenses into the furnishing. We literally just, you know, get in the condos, turning them right over, putting some Internet and cable into them, paying the first month rent and two deposits. And then we're able to just move right in and get them right on the market. And we have asked um, our family members that do want to come along to be able to get one of the higher packages. So that way uh, we can get higher quality condos. We can rent them out for a little bit more money and we can also split the cash flow to have a bigger pot for us to share. So we definitely have a, a really long term plan to rack up a lot of these and make the system really, really good so that we can start owning you know, some villas and some condos. Okay, nice. Do you plan on staying there for a long time? How What's your long-term goals? Yeah, so we, we definitely love it so much. We plan on being out here for a long time. But like I said, with the visas here, because they have you really leave the country every two months, but they have what's called visa runs where we can actually just you know take a, a bus or take a car and you can just leave the, the grounds of the country, go right over the border, even if it's just for less than a day. And then that's technically you leaving the country and then we can come right back and, and restart our two months or we can take a flight to somewhere different like we did with the other places where, you know, instead of just leaving the country for a day, we'll leave for a week or a month and then we'll just come right back and restart our clock back. Unless we were able to get a certain type of visas that allows us to stay a little longer, which we're working on. Okay. And so we'll be here long termly because we see it investing. There's a lot of laws that's changing here. That's definitely um, that's going to be good for foreigners. And then it's also an area that's really um, up and coming when it comes down to Bangkok being two hours away. It's the most visited city in the world. Mm-hmm. And so because it's two hours away, we get a lot of traffic that's coming over here to Pattaya. And over here in Thailand, it's not like uh, how the U.S. real estate market has a lot of cycles. It goes up and down, you know, really fast. Here is it's a really you know steady coast up. It doesn't go up as fast as some of the higher cycles in the real estate market in the U.S. But you won't really have to worry about it crashing. If that makes sense. And so we, we see a lot of good opportunities here for business and for um, real estate. So we're making this our long-term goal, but we'll be traveling around the world you know, while we're doing this as well. Okay. Talk about taxes. How does that work? While you're there as a U.S. citizen, do you, you have to pay taxes in the U.S. still or do you pay taxes there? No. So, I mean, I'm sure some people do. <laughs> Okay. But the but the way we've the way we set things up, we really don't worry about paying taxes. We have a lot of things that are in our company's name or starting a Thai company out here. And, you know, eventually, you know, maybe they will kinda come at us and say where we owe certain things, but we do have um measures that are to the side with some experts where they kinda um it's kinda set up a little differently as far as um you know, our background is concerned. Interesting. I knew a guy that moved his company. He was doing really, really well. Lived in, oh, I forget, somewhere in Europe. Bottom line, he was paying about 45 to 50% of his income in taxes. And it was so frustrating. He actually just moved to Dubai, took his whole family, moved to Dubai. 
because there they have zero income taxes, zero federal taxes, all whatever you call it. And um, yeah, he's in Dubai. <laughs> wow. But uh, he loves it there. His family loves it, apparently, from what he says. And he doesn't have to pay anything in taxes. And he had an Amazon business, right? So he was just selling stuff on Amazon. And uh, he didn't even need – he didn't have an inventory, didn't have a warehouse or anything. He's basically Amazon storing everything for him. But there's a lot of uh, – if you're doing it right, there's a lot of tax advantages to living overseas. Yeah, yeah you definitely can. You know, if you're uh, – the person that you were just referencing, is he a dual citizen or did he totally renounce his U.S. citizenship? That's a good question. I don't know. Um, yeah, that might make a difference. But he moved there full t- full time. It's not one of these things where he lives there – just six months out of the year or something like that, or six months right. of one day. That's a good question. And it's just dependent on the country that you're going to and the country you're coming from, I'm sure. Yeah. But, um, yeah. All right. So tell me, how does – you're married, right? Yes. Okay. How did, What does your wife think of Thailand? Man, she she loves it. We both agree. We're, we see eye to eye when it comes down to things like that. I mean, we can literally not talk to each other and just have this gut feeling – so we, we both love Thailand. Like I said, we were almost crying when we left to go to Bali, just knowing that we had to explore more. It was our first time going out of the country, and Thailand was our first uh, destination. Uh-huh. And so we had already planned on visiting a lot of other places, but you know, we both felt like we were being torn from our, our child almost when it came down to leaving. And then while we were out, we just you know always talked about, oh, we can't wait to get back. And so we feel the same way. Okay, cool. And... Um so talk about what mainly are you doing today? You're, it sounds to me like you're working on Airbnbs today, and uh, you're also coaching students doing deals in the U.S., right? Yeah, so that's pretty much what my day um, is all consistent of. I'm coaching people, and I'm pretty much on the phone, or we're on Podio dissecting the deals um, with the coaching students that I have, and then also the Airbnb rentals. I just actually hired a consultant for our Airbnb rentals. He just loaded up a whole bunch of stuff for changes that I got to make online. So we'll be doing that tomorrow. And then I also do foreign exchange trading. And so I'm pretty much on the charts at least once or twice a day. I mean, I'll do some trading. So that's kind of what my day consists of. Very cool. Trey, how can people reach you, get a hold of you if they want to talk with you, work with you? Well, yeah, you can actually find me on most social media networks, Instagram, Facebook, um, things like that under Trey Leon Bay. So T-R-E-L-E-O-N-B-E-Y. And you can also find me on YouTube. I have a lot of free videos that I give out a lot of information for for real estate. And also I have a, a free download for people that are interested yes, in doing right. va- va- vacation rentals. We actually put together a really precise presentation, and that's how we've been able to get a lot of our family members and friends on board. And once we put the presentation out there within a week, we had people that were just, you know, throwing us money because it's such a great, awesome deal. And so folks go to freedomlifestyleinvestors.com slash Joe McCall. That's ah. why I made it your name. <laughs> so it'll be freedomlifestyleinvestors.com slash Joe McCall. And that's able for um, that's available for folks to be able to just download the presentation. And you can use it how you like if you want to. Invest with us. You can invest with us if you want to take the presentation and do something similar for whatever real estate um, venture you have. Then you know folks can use that how they like. Nice. Just so I'm clear on that again, Freedom Lifestyle Investors. Yeah, I spelt the name wrong already. <laughs> Freedom Lifestyle Investors. Boom. There you go. Nice. 
freedomlifestyleinvestors.com slash Joe McCall. Yeah. Go there. And by the way, if you guys are driving, listening to this, just uh, go to the show notes at realestateinvestingmastery.com and we'll give you all of these links and stuff like that there. And uh, it's a cool looking website. And let me oh, just cool. do the slash Joe McCall. Maybe you don't have this working now as we're talking. But no, it's already set released. Up. Oh, it is. My internet's slow. You must have faster internet than I do. No, no cool. Here it is. Oh, cool. Yes, here it is. Free presentation download. All right. Talking about Airbnbs, doing them like you're doing in um, Thailand. And you, I found your Facebook page. We'll also put this in the show notes as well. Okay. And, uh, cool. Yeah, it looks like you guys got a beautiful view from your condo. I'm seeing one of your videos. Nice. <laughs> yeah. All right. Trey, it's good talking to you. Thanks for uh, talking to us about what you're doing and, and uh, some of the cool things you're doing there in Thailand. It's awesome, man. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I appreciate you inviting me on, Joe. Hey, one more thing. Let me ask you just what, what would be some advice you'd want to give to beginners, somebody listening to to this podcast and they, they like what you're doing. They want to – maybe they're just now getting started, right? What would be some good advice you'd want to give to them? Yeah, actually, I give out a lot of the same advice on on bigger pockets and YouTube. And what I've been finding the the most popular question that people have been having or the most popular problem is just the focus. And I know I've I've had the same problem get, just getting started too, where a lot of people feel like you have to have the sparkling website and you have to pull out you know a bunch of different mailers and you you have to have the business cards and the LLC and all of that stuff. And really, when it comes down to it, we're just trying to find a way to get away from doing the real grunt work and the real income producing activities, which is literally just talking to sellers and talking to as many sellers as you can to be able to get good at talking to sellers. I mean, I'm an introverted person. You can ask anybody who you know grew up with me in high school. I, I wasn't really the most talkative person, but you know I learned it just to be able to talk to sellers and you know to solve their solutions. So talk to as many sellers as possible on the phone, even if you're just calling people from Craigslist or Zillow, just to use as practice. You know, and then also just go to the appointments. You know, just to make sure that you're comfortable talking to sellers, making sure that you you know you know what you're talking about when it comes down to evaluating deals. And, and sending offers. And if you do that enough, if you do enough phone calls, you do enough appointments, you do enough evaluations of homes, and you send enough offers, you will be good at this game. Everything else is just, you know, it's going to come along later. Right on. Good advice. All right, Trey. Yes. Hey, thanks again, man. And uh, no problem, Joe. Have a, have a good night's sleep there in Thailand because it's late <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Well, you enjoy All the right. rest of your day, then. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 